I going to get my quiet time? Am I going to guard that time? I mean, think about it. If you have to be at work at 9 o'clock and you know you're going to hit some traffic, you plan ahead, right? You got to get at work on time. And I'm here to tell you the most important appointment you have and I have every day is that appointment with the Almighty God to get our hearts right before Him. And you got to plan for that business. Because if you don't plan for it, it's going to vanish. When you want to grow something, whether it's a plant, a pet, or a baby, you have to plan ahead. Things aren't just going to happen without some work and preparation. As Pastor Daniel explains today, our spiritual lives need the same kind of care. We have to put in some effort to get into the presence of God, to read His Word. Those things fertilize the ground that God will water and nourish. Take time to plan ahead and get your heart ready. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with part one of his message, The Second Passover. open up in those Bibles to the book of Numbers chapter 9. Numbers chapter 9. As we finish up this first series in the book of Numbers that we've called Camp. It's kind of a boring title, but it's apropos. Because if you've been tracking with us since the beginning of, book of, of the book of Numbers, we find that God is giving his people organizational orders on how he wants them to move from place to place. For since the midpoint of the book of Exodus, the children of Israel have been camped out at Mount Sinai. We're going to see today that this is the second Passover, which means the first Passover, which was the night before they left Egypt, And everything from right around, that's Exodus chapter 10 and 11, all the way through Exodus, all the way through Leviticus, and now 10 chapters in Numbers has all taken place over the course of one year. So it's just about time for them to leave their camping space at Sinai, and they're going to be moving around until they settle in the promised land. And God's plan for them was that they would be properly organized. They were, they were meant to be well organized to get from place to place. And just given the sheer numbers, I don't know how many of you have ever gone camping with more than about two people, and it's like herding cats, right? It's like you can't get anywhere. It's like, especially if you've ever gone on those like massive people camping trips where there's like 20 people, you know what that's like, right? Like nothing ever gets done. You never get anywhere. It's impossible to move. And every time you go to eat something, you realize that half the people are gone. You don't know where they went, right? Well, you can imagine with the children of Israel with at this point hundreds of thousands of people, what a train wreck that would be for someone like Moses and Aaron. And so you have all of these details about how they're supposed to camp and what they're supposed to do. And really, Numbers chapter 9, and we're going to take from all of Numbers 9 and then through verse 10 of chapter 10, which is this last little section. Now, I know you're thinking, why are we going through verse 10 of chapter 10? And the reason is, is because the chapter breaks are not inspired in your Bible anyway. 
They're put in later. And oftentimes where they put the end of the chapter, is not, it's not the right spot. It should have kept going. And this is one of those examples. But what I love about what we're going to see today is that everything that the children of Israel were doing from the time they left Egypt, everything is kind of centered around how it relates to the Passover. They're continually reminded of God's great deliverance of the children of Israel in Egypt because of the Passover lamb. And you and I know that Jesus, the reason John the Baptist said, oh, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, is because John the Baptist is saying, that's the real Passover lamb. There was a lamb that was slain to deliver the people from Egypt and to protect them from death. But Jesus, he's the real lamb. He's the sacrificial lamb. He's the lamb who frees us from death. And that's what we talked about on Sunday, isn't it? When Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life in John chapter 11. And so all of this ties in so profoundly to the ministry of Jesus. And the Passover was a picture, a type, a shadow of a greater deliverance that God was going to give to his people, which is Jesus himself. So, jumping on in, chapter 9 of the book of Numbers, verse 1. So I hope you're there in your Bibles. If you're new to the Bible, the book of Numbers is the fourth book in the Bible. You have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and now Numbers. So chapter 9, verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the first month of the second year, after they came out of the land of Egypt, saying, let the children of Israel keep the Passover at its appointed time. On the 14th day of this month, at twilight, you shall keep it at its appointed time, according to all its rites and ceremonies, you shall keep it. So Moses told the children of Israel that they should keep the Passover, and they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the first month at twilight in the wilderness of Sinai, according to all the Lord commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did. Now, we keep saying it, but we'll say it again. Notice the Lord speaks to Moses, and then Moses speaks to the people. So Moses is functioning in that role as a mediator. God is speaking to Moses, and Moses is speaking to the people. Now, again, Moses is also a picture of Jesus because Jesus mediates between humanity and God. Right? And so God is revealing it to Moses, and then Moses is revealing it to the people. Now, what's beautiful is we have to realize that after Jesus died and rose again and he gave his spirit, there's no more need for a human mediator. Right? Now, I say this because I'm a pastor of a church, and oftentimes people think, well, God will speak to the pastor, and then the pastor will speak to me. No, God will speak to you directly. The best thing I can do is help affirm what God is speaking to you by sharing with you God's word. In no way is any pastor a mediator because Jesus is the great high priest. And I always need to say that because oftentimes, like especially when God's using a pastor, we have a tendency to think that really it's, they're special. No, we're all God's special kids because we're all filled with the same spirit. And God wants to speak to all of us individually and uniquely. And a good pastor at best will challenge us to follow Jesus and to, and to learn how to hear from the Lord and the things that a pastor says should confirm or challenge us to rethink what we're doing and why. There's no need for a mediator now because Jesus has got that perfectly taken care of. I always tell people the only person that anyone should miss at church is Jesus. Everybody else is dispensable except for Jesus. Jesus is the one person. If he doesn't show up at church, we're in trouble. 
But what's unfortunate is a lot of times, if Jesus isn't at the church, nobody will notice. And that might be the biggest problem. That might be the biggest problem. We need to be aware of the presence of Jesus in the midst of his people. So there's no need for a mediator anymore because Jesus is the mediator between God and man. There's one mediator, the man Christ Jesus. Now, notice that although they've been in the wilderness of Sinai and it's almost time for them to leave, in verse two, let the children of Israel keep the Passover at its appointed time. On the 14th day of this month at twilight, you shall keep it at its appointed time. According to all the rites and ceremonies, you shall keep it. So even though they're in the wilderness, they're no longer in Egypt, and they're not yet in the promised land, God is like, look, I put this at an appointed time, and I want you to keep it right there. Do the things you know you ought to do. Now, it's a great application for us, isn't it? God wants us to do the things we already know we ought to do. Because I don't know about you, as we grow spiritually, as we learn more and more in our walks with Jesus, sometimes we have a tendency to be like, yeah, I know that, and I'm not really doing that, but I want to learn something else, right? It's like we move on from what we consider to be the elementary things, but I love the fact he's like, look, do the things you already know. I already told you I want you to do this, the rights, and all these things. I just want you to do it that way, and do it at the time you're supposed to do it. And what a great encouragement and challenge for us. What is... What do you already know that God wants you to be doing that you're not doing? And say, God, give me the grace just to take that next step, to do that thing that I know I'm supposed to be doing. That's why in a lot of ways, I, for a long time as a, as a young Christian, I take notes every time I hear a message. I want to write down, what's God speaking to me? Because I want to be able to go back and say, okay, so when I was listening to that passage, this is what God challenged me on. And so I could go back, because I don't know about you, but I'm, I forget things pretty quickly after it happens. You know, you move on to the next thing and you get consumed with something else. But oftentimes if you write down, oh, the Lord reminded me that he really wants me to love my spouse. Because God loves my spouse and I'm working on it. You know, like that's, that's a good word from the Lord, right? See, there's so many things that God has already told us. This is what I want from you. And I believe that God wants to remind us today just from this simple passage at the appointed time, do it. According to all the rites and ceremonies, I want you to keep it. Do the things I've already told you to do. And look at what happens. Verse four, so Moses told the children of Israel that they should keep the Passover, and they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the first month at twilight in the wilderness of Sinai, according to all that the Lord commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did. And what do we call this? Obedience. God said, this is what I want. We find out that the children of Israel did it. Now, I've told you many times as we've been going through the Old Testament that every time the children of Israel get it right, we're going to make a point of it. And I think especially now it's important because by the time we get to the next section, it's going to, the wheels are going to start coming off the car a little bit. The children of Israel are going to start to struggle to do the things they know they ought to do. And it's going to have all sorts of ramifications. Here, they get it right. They do exactly what God is asking them to do. Now, look at what happens, though, in verse 6. It says, Now there were certain men who were defiled by a human corpse, so they could not keep the Passover on that day. And they came before Moses and Aaron that day. And those men said to him, We have become defiled by a human corpse. Why are we kept from presenting the offering of the Lord at its appointed time among the children of Israel? 
And Moses said to them, stand still that I may hear what the Lord will command concerning you. Now you see what's going on here. Because God had to remind them to do what they already knew what to do, there were people who weren't planning ahead. And if you remember, if you touched a corpse, there was a time of separation from the people. And then there was a cleansing period before reintegration. Now, if you missed that part, you're like, well, so what's the big deal? You got to remember, this was long before rubber gloves and hand sanitizers. Everybody knows that when, when a body is decomposing or there's biological matter, there is the potential for the spread of disease. You got to remember, this is taking place probably about 4,000 years ago, long before Johnson & Johnson came up with a billion-dollar scheme to get us to clean our hands all the time and soaps and all this stuff. And so you know, you go into a hospital, they put gloves on, right? Why? Because when biological matter is involved, you can get sick. And so when somebody were to touch a dead body, God did not want disease to spread in the midst of the people. So when someone did that, they had to be separated, quarantined, so to speak, for a period of time to make sure they were not sick. And then there was a reintegration time. So a lot of times when people start reading the Old Testament, they're like, oh, this is so, the Bible's so silly. Well, no, it's really not that silly. It's actually pretty amazing that 4,000 years ago, God was concerned for the health and well-being of his people enough to say, when you touch a dead body, there's a pretty good chance something funky could be involved in that. And I do not want everyone to get sick. But you notice the issue for these men was that they had forgotten that they were going to have to keep the Passover. And so they weren't cautious. Now, why do I think this is important? By way of application, I believe that this is important because I believe in order to have a spiritual life that is fruitful and fulfilling, we have to plan ahead. Growth in grace, fruitfulness does not just happen. It's something that you have to prepare for. If you think about it in, and I don't want to get ahead of myself for the I Am series, but the idea that if we are the branches. We need to be attached to the vine, John 15. See, if you want to plant something in the ground, you need to prepare the soil. You need to make sure it's properly fertilized. Is there food there? Is it sunlight? Is there going to be enough water? If there's not enough water, you got to water it. See, in order for life to be sustained, if you're going to have a new baby, there's all these things that you do as a family to prepare for this little life so this little life could flourish. Things like diapers. You know, it's like kind of an important thing. Right? You, you start having uh, some sort of formula or, or mother's milk or whatever it is. You have to do all this preparation so something can flourish. And the same is true for your life and my life. If you want to grow spiritually, Jesus has done everything necessary from God's point of view. But we have to show up. We have to say, God, I'm going to till the soil of my own heart. I'm going to pull the weeds out. I'm going to get rid of the stuff that's going to hold me back. And there is a time of preparation. You have to think about it. How many of you say, man, I really hope to get a quiet time tomorrow, some time in God's word, some time in prayer? Listen, if you don't, if you fail to plan, you're going to plan to fail because you know what happens? That quiet time goes away quick because life ain't quiet. I remember when I first got married and we had Obadiah, I used to stay extra long in the bathroom. It was the only, like if you're in the bathroom with the door shut, by and large, unless you're in there too long, nobody bothers you. Because nobody wants to mess. They don't want to hear what you're doing in there. And it's funny because I would do it. And then I would notice that Lynn would do the same thing. You know what I mean? Because the only, you know, if you're in the bathroom, no matter what's going on, it's like you just got to take care of business. And so, but you have to plan those times to get into the presence of the Lord, to read his word. 
You know, like I do things like I take my phone. I mean, I do my quiet times in the morning before everyone's up. You know, I, take, I don't even bring my phone into there. You know what's going to happen? I'm going to start thinking about something. Before I know it, I'm on, you know, checking out something. I'm reading something. And before you know it, I had my quiet time, but I didn't. I read sports highlights, you know? And so you have to prepare for these things. You have to think to yourself, when am I going to get my quiet time? Am I going to guard that time? I mean, think about it. If you have to be at work at 9 o'clock and you know you're going to hit some traffic, you plan ahead, right? Because you got to get at work on time. And I'm here to tell you the most important appointment you have and I have every day is that appointment with the Almighty God to get our hearts right before Him. And you got to plan for that business. Because if you don't plan for it, it's going to vanish. It's going to vanish. These men, they made the mistake of not thinking ahead. Hey, the Passover's coming, and let's say this happened five days before, and whereas they touched a dead body, now they're ceremonially unclean, and they can't be involved. And when, they, when Moses tells the people, you have to keep it at the appointed time, these guys come and say, oh man, we touched a dead body, and why aren't we allowed to end? What are we supposed to do? And Moses, I love this. There's a question now. What does Moses do? Moses says, well, I think you should do this. No, what does he do? Moses says in verse 8, Stand still that I may hear what the Lord's will command concerning you. Moses doesn't assume that he knows what God wants. He says, listen, hang out. We're going to find out what the Lord wants. And my friends, this is golden counsel right here. Don't assume you have a clue what God is doing in someone else's life. Because oftentimes, especially if you read your Bible, we have no clue what God's doing. The people think they know what God's doing. God's not doing any of that stuff. And so when someone comes to you with a kind of a question, before you say, this is what I would do, you should say, you know what? We should just pray. Because I do not know what God's will is concerning the situation. But for most of us, we never do that, right? We just jump right in. Well, this is what I would do. It's the blind leading the blind, right? So Moses' his actions here is great spiritual leadership. He's like, stand still. He's like, stand still is old school for chill out. Just hang here for a second. I'm going to go find out what the Lord wants. And when I know, I'll tell you. And look what happens in verse 9. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, If any one of you or your posterity is unclean because of a corpse or is far away on a journey, he may still keep the Lord's Passover. On the 14th day of the second month at twilight, they may keep it. They shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall leave none of it until morning, nor break one of its bones according to all the ordinances of the Passover. You shall keep it. But the man who is clean and is not on a journey or ceases to keep the Passover, that same person shall be cut off from among his people because he did not bring an offering of the Lord at its appointed time. That man shall bear his sin. And if a stranger, verse 14, dwells among you, and would keep the Lord's Passover, he must do so according to the rite of the Passover, and according to its ceremonies, you shall have one ordinance, both for the stranger and the native in the land. Now, this is beautiful, isn't it? Because what God does here, because they weren't prepared, we see both God's grace and God's permission. He said, look, in this case, you can perform the Passover two weeks later. Notice there's enough time for the ceremonial cleansing, the reintegration. And he's saying, look, if someone's on a faraway trip, they're on a journey, or if someone's been defiled, this one time, we're going to give you an opportunity to do it later. But you have to completely keep all the rights as you already know. But notice what he says. He's like, but 
If you're not on a trip and you're not defiled and you choose not to do it, then you're not part of my people. So I love that he's saying, if you can do it, do it. And if in this case, there's a reason you can't do it, we're going to give you another option. Don't you love that about the Lord? See, God's heart is not rule keeping. It's a familial relationship. It's kind of like, I remember growing up, every Sunday evening, I have a big Italian American family. And so Sunday evenings, you're eating pasta at somebody's house. You know what I mean? There was like a big table. There was more pasta. You know what to do with. I mean, now there'd be a gluten-free pasta pot for some of you people. But in my family, it was, like, it was just, it was bread and it was sausage and meatballs. But sure enough, for some reason, someone's late, they could always come for coffee later. And, and that was the thing. It didn't matter. Like, even if you showed up way late, someone's like, oh, I couldn't get you. I had a soccer game. Whenever they showed up, they'd give them food. It's all good. Because that's what a family is. And that's exactly what the Lord is saying here. He's like, look, I just want you all to be there. I want you to realize who I am and what I've done. And if there's reasons you can't be there on the proper day, two weeks later, we're going to give you another opportunity. Because I want you there. And I love that about the Lord. That the Lord wants us to be part of what he's doing. He invites us in and says, come on. And in this instance, because they weren't prepared, he's like, look, there's there's a place for you. It'll just happen a little bit later. And even, I love this, even if a stranger dwells among you, somebody who is not of the children of Israel, in verse 14, he's saying, look, if someone who's not a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, somebody who's just dwelling amongst you, a stranger in the land, if he wants in, he can be in too, as long as he does everything right. And that's always been the heart of God. Inclusive. See, people all the time, they say, this is why I don't like Christianity. It's so exclusive. It's sectarian. I'm like, no, no. The reason Christianity is exclusive is because people don't want to be there. God doesn't make you join if you don't want to. But if you want to, you can come just as you are, and God will accept you and do the work because he's already accepted you. People all the time, I don't understand Christianity. It's so separate. No, it's not. It's whoever wants to come, come on. Get your sins forgiven. Come to know God, get filled with the Holy Spirit, and God's doing a changing work in all of us. God is the most open-handed person you'll ever meet. If every single living person in every single generation would turn their hearts to God and say, God, I believe in you and I repent of my sins and I want to walk with you, you know what God says? Let's do it. His heart's wide open for people. But people say, oh, it's it's so narrow. No, it's not. The reason it's narrow is because you don't want to be in. And God isn't going to drag you into his party. Like, listen, I want to give you all the blessings that you could ever imagine. I want to give you my spirit. I want to do all these things. I don't want, he's not going to make you receive it. Some people say God's a perfect gentleman. But anybody can come. And if you're here today and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, maybe you think you've done too many things wrong. You know, you've made too many mistakes. Listen, you come just as you are. And God says, I've been waiting for you. Come on. And God doesn't say, look, no, no, you're too bad. God, listen, God knows how bad we all really are. God realized that we are all grace cases. We need it. We're lost, all of us. Some of our lostness are extravagant and crazy, and other of ours seems just pretty normal, but still lost just the same. Jesus is Webster's Dictionary defines friction as the resistance that one surface or object encounters when moving over another. We experience friction all around us, from the people at work to the people who won't leave the left lane when you're in traffic. Irritation and friction affect us every day. 
But probably the most significant area where we face friction these days is when our modern culture collides with our faith. They just don't play nice sometimes. I recently shared a series called Friction with our family of faith at Crossroads Community Church, and I would love to share it with you as well. This series has revolutionized our thinking about how we, the body of Christ, are to exist and engage the culture around us for the cause of Christ. It comes straight out of the book of Daniel. This month, we've created a special mini-series from the Friction series just for you, the Jesus is Real radio listener. Here's Josh with the info you need to get yourself a copy. Thanks, Pastor Daniel. Anyone who supports Jesus is Real Radio through the month of May with a gift of $25 or more will receive a special three-part mini-series that was taken from the Friction series that Pastor Daniel just mentioned. To receive your three-CD set from the Friction series, simply visit JesusIsRealRadio.com and select Partner from the main menu. There you'll have the opportunity to give a one-time gift or support Jesus Is Real Radio on a monthly basis. Please remember, every bit of support you provide helps us continue and expand what God is doing through Jesus Is Real Radio. Thanks for joining us today. Until next time, may God bless. 